have two scripture verses for you this morning. The first is taken from John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then from Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We talk a lot around here about being missional. One of our core values is we all go. And there's a phrase I say quite often, we all go to the end of the street and to the ends of the earth. But why do we talk about this? Why is this held up as important in our church? It's because everyone needs Jesus. Why do we need him? Because everyone is in need of redemption. And Jesus redeems us spiritually and physically. Let's talk about first uh, spiritual redemption. Without God, there is no judgment. And without God, there's no such thing as justice. If there were no God, there would be no judgment, and that means the eternal fate of Mother Teresa would be the same as Adolf Hitler. And when you watch movies and there's good guys that die and bad guys that die, it really wouldn't make any difference because if you're dead, you're dead. And so if there's no God and no judgment, then there's no justice in the universe. And if our lives do not have consequence, then ultimately the universe is meaningless and so are our lives. There is some part of us that wants to see justice. We want to see wrongs corrected. We want to see evil punished. But in order for that to happen, there has to be a judgment. And that means everyone appears before the judgment seat of God. Now that will happen someday. And when we have to answer for everything in our lives, we know there are some things in our lives that are not going to be God's will, that we rightfully are condemned for them. Everyone appears before the judgment seat. Not everyone is condemned equally because everyone has their own judgment and their own things, but basically our sin has to be atoned for. And we can atone for our own sins, which we really don't want to do, or we can have someone atone for them for us. And Jesus offers this atonement after after his mercy and grace. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 25, we read this, and I'll comment as I go. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, 
has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So there's a righteousness that we can have that doesn't come from us having to obey every jot and tittle of the law. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. And so this righteousness comes to us through our faith in Jesus. There is no difference, meaning there's no difference whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. Um, You all need this atonement because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely. That means he declares us righteous. He does this for free. Nothing we do obligates us to do this. He does this by grace because he wants to. And this redemption comes by Jesus Christ. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice through faith in his blood. And so this atonement comes by believing in what his shed blood has done on the cross. Only Jesus does this for us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's an exclusive claim, right? Can you imagine a person saying, no one comes to the Father except through me? But Jesus backed up this claim by rising again from the dead. And if we look at the evidence surrounding the resurrection, we have to come away with the conclusion that Jesus did indeed rise. I've bet my life on this evidence. And so our faith is not wishful thinking. Our faith is actually the rational response to evidence. Furthermore, Peter preaching of Jesus said, there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And so atonement and redemption comes through Jesus. Faith joins us to Christ like marriage joins husband and wife, and now what is his is ours, and what he did for us, it's like we had done it. I am joined to my wife through marriage. And now what is mine is hers, and what's hers is mine. And, and we have a joint bank account, and she draws from it as she, she pleases. And you don't, right? Because she's joined to me in marriage. You're not. All right, Jesus shares what's his with those who are joined to him. And we join him through faith. And now what he has, righteousness and obedience, is credited to us, to our account. And what he's done, which is pay the debt for sin, it's like as if we had paid it. Now, we don't deserve it. It's called grace, but this gift is offered And if a gift is offered to you, it's not yours until you say yes and you receive it. I was at General Assembly uh, uh, two weeks ago, and while there, I met a friend who pastors a church in San Diego, and um, he told me his mother-in-law died, but that they were not selling their house, but that they were going to keep the house for missionaries and pastors who wanted to use it. 
And then he said, if you ever want to stay in that house in San Diego, it's yours to stay in. So I mentioned this to Nancy, and we decided, okay, we're going to go to San Diego and, and stay in that house for a week. But here's how the house becomes ours to enjoy. I had to believe him when the offer was made. And I had to ask him for the gift. We have to believe that Jesus offers it. And then we have to ask him for the gift. And so Jesus offers us atonement for sin and eternal life. And this eternal life doesn't begin after you're dead. It begins from the time that Jesus takes hold of your life and this eternal quality of life starts to rejuvenate your soul and now your soul that's made alive just keeps on living even after your body's dead. So people need Jesus. If people did not need Jesus, why would Jesus send his disciples whom he loved to their deaths preaching the gospel. The disciples already had religion. They were Jewish. They believed in the one true God. That's a pretty good religion when you put it on the scale of religions. You add the law. At least you're praying to the the right God. And, And when we look at the disciples, they were pretty much trying really hard to to keep the law and be righteous. But Jesus thought they needed to be saved. And then he sent them to their deaths, preaching to the world that they needed to be saved. Jesus would not have done that if he did not think they needed to be saved and that the world needed to be saved. And yes, they went to their deaths preaching this good news. Now, some people think, really? Everyone needs Jesus? Isn't that enough to just believe in God? The demons believe in God. Isn't it enough to just have a religion because don't all paths lead to God? No, only one name and one path has in within it atonement for sin by someone else. Otherwise, we're paying for our own sins, and that is misery and torture. There's only one name under heaven by which we can be saved. Some people will say, well, what about the pygmies in Africa? People who haven't heard, aren't they saved? So you're telling me that this is salvation by not hearing? Even the pygmies in Africa, uh, even if they don't know the law, have a law unto themselves, and this is called a conscience. And we all violate our own consciences. We can't even keep our own law. And they too must atone for their sins or have someone atone for it for them. And if you could be saved by no one hearing, then I have a plan that can save the entire world in one generation. 
burn all the Bibles and don't tell anyone about Jesus and in one generation no one will have heard and then no one will be lost. The whole world will be saved. But we know this to be in complete contradiction to the commands of God. We know this to be ridiculous. And so, yes, everyone needs Jesus. Jesus loves the world. He loves the lost. He wants people to hear how they can be saved and be healed. He's told us that we are the messengers of that. If I was diagnosed with cancer and I found a doctor who, who made me well and, and my cancer went into remission and then I heard that you had the same cancer, would it not be love and concern for you that would move me to tell you how you could be healed? We tell people about restaurants and movies we've seen and shows we've seen. Why not tell them about something that's really important that can affect their entire life and their eternity? Why not tell them about Jesus? Now, I told you that Jesus redeems spiritually, but, you know, he redeems another way, too. He actually redeems life in the here and now. You see, Jesus is good and beautiful, and where he rules, there is goodness and beauty. Now, we look at the world and we see there's injustice and poverty and oppression and evil. This is what the nature of man does to the world. But once people come under the control of Jesus, he starts to transform their lives. He um, transforms their personal lives so that we become aware of our, our areas of sin and he starts to clean us up. And then he also uh, makes us aware of the sin of society or of the culture. And if we're controlled by the Spirit, Spirit moves us to do something about that also. And so people who are listening to the Spirit of God work to feed the hungry and heal the sick and set the captives free, lift people from poverty, be spokespeople for truth and advocates for justice. And as more and more people come under the rule of Jesus, and as more and more people do this, then we see families and neighborhoods and cities and cultures transformed. This is how Jesus transforms culture. And so if we care about redeeming the suffering of the world, then we need to be advocates for Jesus. Because Jesus is the Redeemer. And this is why we go. We all play a role in it. So how do we join Jesus in his work? First of all, pray for a heart like he has. Jesus has a missional heart. 
He cares about the lost. He, he cares about people being redeemed. So if we don't have that kind of heart, it has to be given to us. And, and Jesus actually wants to give it, so ask him for it. Number two, pray for boldness to share. Even the disciples had to pray for boldness. And they had a reason to pray. Because when they shared the good news, they were beaten up and arrested and tortured. All of them died preaching the gospel. None of that happens to us. But we still need to pray for boldness. Three, see yourself as a representative of Christ. So wherever you are, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you interact, see yourself as the ambassador from Jesus to wherever you are. Represent Christ to your family first. Right? They need to see Jesus in you. Represent Christ in your neighborhoods. Represent Christ in your workplace. And wherever you interact in the city or in the world, see yourself as representing Jesus, representing his goodwill and ready to share the message of hope. Fourth, uh, join the church in its work in Wichita and around the world. Yes, we represent Christ as individuals, but we also represent him as a church. And I don't think there's any church in Wichita doing more in the city and the world than Eastminster. We have a history of this. And we have ministries that we have partnered with in the past that now have global impact. You know, world impact is one of them. And, you know, and we're at work redeeming the city. IASIS is, is one of those places where their Pastor Bill Van was in that part of the city. He was saying his own neighborhood was the neighborhood in most need in Wichita. He had the know-how, he had the desire, but he didn't have full funding but we partnered with him, and you know, now that, that neighborhood is being redeemed. We're starting to affect the city. And we're also at work in the world. Not everywhere in the world. There's 206 nations, so like, we have to kind of narrow our focus. But we've narrowed our focus where God has directed us. And we're mainly working in places where there is no visible church. But we are planting churches where no church has been. And we look forward to seeing fruit in actually the culture of Jesus transforming nations. This is what we are doing, but we is we. And we all have to do it. And so we give, because our giving makes that possible. We pray because Nations in bondage are in spiritual bondage. Our prayers, you know, uh, loosen the grip of the evil one on the nations. We can go to some of those places, and if we can't go, then we help someone else go. So I want us to have missional hearts, and here's what a missional heart looks like to me. It means that every person in this church sees themselves as representative of, of Jesus wherever they are. In your home, in your neighborhood, wherever you live and interact, you're consciously aware 
of the lost and that I am a representative of Jesus. Number two, I want you to be invested somewhere redemptively in the city. I want you to care about some aspect of the city that needs redemption. And I want you to care at least about one nation in the world where we have partners. And if our heart is there, then our care and our prayers and our gifts and our service will be there. And if everyone in our church is there somewhere, we will fulfill the purposes of God for our life and for our church. Let me introduce you to a family that has developed a missional heart. We're going to show you that family's testimony on the video screen. I'm Mike. I'm Kinsey, and I'm a freshman. I'm Kathy. I'm Mallory, and I'm eight. And we're the Wilcoxes. And we've been at East Minister for five years. No. That's incorrect. <laughs> it was already an edit. I guess, as far as I feel, uh, I haven't done enough in my life uh, to spread the word of Jesus. And when you come to our church, you hear the message of go. And in thinking about that, I've been trying to, and our family has been working on spreading the word of, of Jesus through East Minister to other people. Well, our kids have definitely been the lead on this. They have brought their friends and um, consistently encouraged them, their friends to come. And I guess we've backed that up by providing rides and coordinating whatever was being done. And we were thrilled to do that. So when I first um, started middle school, um, I invited a lot of friends to come on the retreats. And it's just been amazing to see them grow in their faith and their journey um, as a Christian. Two of my friends that I brought here in sixth grade have became members of this church. And I'd say roughly 10 to 12 of them have accepted Christ and um, have been baptized. Um, some of the best parts of my youth here have been watching my friends grow closer to God. At first it started out just wanting a friend to come to church with me, but then I realized when I brought them here, they were really connecting and bonding with the church and they were really loving. And suddenly my friend's brother came and their families came to church with them and it was really um, fun for them to meet new friends and just be with the new church. When you, when you bring, especially with our kids, bringing other classmates and friends to church, it's so rewarding. You know, it's, it's hard to describe that. And so the effort becomes secondary. And when you see that happen and you see what happens when people come to our church and interact, you just want to do it more. So it's kind of contagious. Not everybody is going to be open to the fact of receiving Christ or even hearing about it. A lot of them will um, try to shut you up, but it's just important that you never lose your faith and you just keep going no matter what. And 
just getting them to church is what's going to put that seed into their mind. We don't have to be the people to make it into a plan. I mean, God's going to do it in his own time. He has a plan for everyone. That, if we all feel that inside of us, we can share. We can all try harder to share and go. Jesus commands us to go. And if we're really going to be serious about our faith and spreading what God has to offer and what our church has to offer, we all need to make that effort. Everyone can be missional. The Wilcoxes started by asking themselves as a family, what can we do and be to be more missional? You know, they said about 10 to 12 people have made professions of faith in Christ through their invitations and their witness. And Mike said, you know, the effort is secondary because once you start doing it, you're just so encouraged that you just keep doing it. And that means being missional, I don't want to make it a should. I don't want to make it a guilt thing. I don't want to make it a have to. But I do want you to have missional hearts. And that's something that um, Jesus is willing to give us. We just need to be willing to have that kind of heart. After all, it's the heart that matters. Why do lovers serve their beloved? It's love. Why do moms wake up in the middle of the night to feed their babies? It's love. Why do husbands and fathers work hard to provide for their uh, kids and wife or a, a mother for her children? It's, it's love. It's love that matters. And it's love that drives us to make Jesus known. So I want us to have a missional heart. I want us to have a missional heart that beats with the heart of Jesus. And so for the next six weeks, we'll be doing a sermon series on the missional heart. And for six weeks, we will pray that Jesus gives us this. We're going to pray that Jesus gives us a heart that beats with his. I read a story, not a story, but a study that um, was done at the University of California at Davis, where they took 30 couples who said they were in love with each other, and they separated the couples. They put one, set, one, one person in one room and then the other person in the next room, and while they were in these separate rooms, they monitored their heartbeats and their breathing rhythm. And they were mismatched and didn't match at all. And then they brought the lovers into the same room. They could not touch and they could not talk, but they said that you could be close and look at the other. And within 20 minutes, all of them had their heartbeat and their breathing rhythm match the beloved. 
I want our hearts to beat with the heart of Jesus. How do they do it at UC Davis? They drew close and they looked at the beloved. Draw close to Jesus. Look at the beauty of who he is and what he has done and ask him for a heart that will beat with his. Let's pray and ask for it. Our Father in heaven, you are beautiful and Jesus is beautiful. And he loved us and pursued us and showed us himself, saved us, forgiven us. He keeps us. Thank you, Jesus. We want other people to know this redemption. So we pray that you give us hearts for this. So Lord, we're gonna picture ourselves coming close to you. We know we're loved, we know we're accepted. That's the gospel. And as we are close, we're gonna look at your beauty. We're gonna look at your eyes. And we're gonna ask, Lord, I'm willing to have my heart changed. Lord, I pray that you give me your heart. And now, Lord, we pray that you show us we're in a city, you want our heart. Pray that you show us what nation in the world you want our hearts. Show us our lives and where we can be ambassadors for you. We pray, Lord, that you would use us and use our church. We're going to give gifts towards this end as well because if you have our hearts, um, you have our money too. And so, Lord, we pray that these gifts be used to redeem the city and to shake the nations and to make Christ known. Bless those who give with abundance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.